The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Acts again in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 12 and 13 today. We're picking back up our series, <coughs> excuse me, Acts chapter number 12 and 13. We're working our way through this wonderful book. So the New Testament church begins to spread across the world, the glory of God and the good of people. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we do come to You and thank You for Your Word. And we pray now that You would uh, speak to us through it by way of the Spirit of God, that He would do what only He can do in a supernatural way and take the words of the Bible to penetrate into our hearts. And for those people who may be here today that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, whether they be member or visitor, we pray that they would hear the good news that Jesus Christ is God's Son, has come into the world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, ever living to make intercession for us and for any man or woman, boy or girl in the world who will trust Jesus alone as their Savior, they can have eternal life. We pray that that news would fall upon ears today and that You would open up hearts Lord, I pray for our church, for um, our believing body here that uh, coming off of last week as we talk about all the good things that we're doing in the church this year and all of the programs and events and opportunities to serve, we pray that we would, uh, that we would regroup, we would look into these chapters and we would see what it is that we need to work on in our own individual lives so that as we come together as the corporate body, we would be living and working in the power of the Spirit of God and not in our own power and ability and skill. And we love you and thank you for it. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning is just a simple Bible lesson, but I believe that it is important for us to regroup for the sake of the Gospel. We met here last week and talked a little bit about the vision of our church and some of the things that the Lord wants us to do this year. And as we look toward Easter coming before too long and that entire weekend of Good Friday and our egg hunt and then our Easter worship service, we'll be looking to see many, many unbelievers here to hear the Gospel and all of the good things that the Lord wants us to plan and work on and work at this year. But if we're going to see the Lord do some incredible and wonderful things that He alone can do, then we must be a part and do our business as believers to do the things that God has called us to do. And so, just kind of bringing us up to date so that we are moving along in Acts in a good clip, I'll just kind of summarize chapter number 12 for you. Uh, Peter had been uh, preaching the gospel and doing right, and the next thing you know, he gets thrown in prison, and at the same time that Peter gets thrown in prison, uh, the believers are meeting in a home to pray. And so as Peter is having the bonds put on him, the people of God are praying to loose those bonds. 
And an angel comes to Peter in the middle of the night and loosens him up and walks him down the middle of the street and all the way out past the gates until he finally comes to the house in chapter number 12 where they are meeting to pray. And there's a young girl by the name of Rhoda who hears a knock at the door and Peter knocks on the door. She runs to the door and uh, he says, hey, you've been praying and I've been released. God has done a miracle, a wonderful work. And Rhoda, bless her heart, she runs back into the prayer meeting and says, you're not going to believe it, but God has answered your prayers. Peter is at the door. And all of them say, yes, we knew God was going to answer our prayers. Well, maybe you haven't read the story, but that's not what happens at all. They say, get out of here, Rhoda. We're praying. Nothing is supposed to happen. Right? And isn't that how you feel sometimes? You pray and nothing, we're just praying, we're calling out for something. And Rhoda says, no, you don't understand, Peter's at the door. And I said, no, again, he's not there, we're praying, this is not supposed to happen. And she finally says, listen, Peter is at the door. And somebody finally goes back and lo and behold, God's people had met to pray and they didn't even have the faith of a mustard seed or they would have been able to move mountains, but at least they were gathered together praying as God wanted them to do. And God, on His behalf, half had released Peter so that he was reunited with the church in the home. And that's kind of how chapter number 12 ends. And then chapter number 13 begins into this missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. But I want you to locate your attention just at the first couple of verses here today. And then uh, later on today, you can read the rest of 13 if you want and see how the Apostle Paul takes off into his missionary journey. But look, if you would, at verse number 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there. Let me read that again. Now there was at Antioch in the church, not necessarily on the riverbank, not just an individual, uh, not just an individualistic Western Christianity, but in the church. Now there was at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now draw your attention to verse number 2. While they were ministering to the Lord. Some of your translations might say, while they were worshiping before the Lord, while they were ministering before the Lord, while they were serving before the Lord. And it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And verse number 3, then when they, the they there is not just referring to the prophets and teachers and Barnabas and Saul that you saw in the previous verse, but it refers to the beginning of verse number 1, that the entire church at Antioch, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Brothers and sisters, just a simple message today to say that if we want God to really be involved in all of the things that we have planned, our Valentine's banquet and our Easter weekend and vacation Bible school and in May when we have all of our host families and we do a fellowship and a Bible study in home, if we want to see God bless in all of the events and the things that we're trying to do this year, if we really want the Lord to give us a revival in our spirit and to take away our old 
sin and put on the new man. If we, we have this vision of God doing something with this church in this neighborhood at this time when all of these houses are being built up, people moving into the neighborhoods, moms and dads and little ones running everywhere, but we know that they're without Christ. We know that these families don't have a, a church to serve. If we want this neighborhood church to envelop this whole community, not just the 27608, but 609 and beyond, if we want our church to spill over into our community and for God to save people and God to restore relationships and God to make children right and God to give people work and God to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth through His people. And if we want God to deliver people who have addictions, if we want God to raise up another generation in our church, if we want God to overwhelm our nursery workers with so many children, if we want God to have the youth of this church rise up again and in the power of the Holy Spirit reach out to their unbelieving friends, if we want God to work upon our senior citizens in this church so that we're ministering and loving and, and, and having an impact upon all of our community, if we really want the power and the grace and the goodness of God to be wrung out in this church like a sponge upon our neighborhood, if we want people outside of Raleigh to look into what's going on in this neighborhood and say something there beyond the capability of those people, beyond their skill set, beyond their individual talents, beyond the money that comes into that place, there is something powerful going on in that neighborhood whereby men and women and boys and girls are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ and they are not only changed inwardly but they are blessing their community where our parks and our schools and our road systems and those that are in local businesses realize that our church really genuinely matters. Don't you want God to do those kinds of things? I don't want to just pump you up. I believe that our God is able to do all of those things, don't you? God will not do those kinds of things if we don't put ourselves in a position to be blessed. See, it's one thing for Pastor Steve to stand up here and roar and talk to you and get something in your belly and you're like, man, I want God. I want to be a part of all of that. But if that leaves you by the time you get to El Rodeo or by the time you get home and then you go back and you slink back into a lethargic type of situation in your own mind where God will raise up people to do that or God will do that or I'll just watch all of that happen. I want you to understand God won't do that through you. He'll do it through another church. He'll do it through another person. He'll do it through another people and you'll miss out. Let me reiterate for you before I tell you what it is that we need to work on. Just as I said last week, as long as I'm here, we're, you're, you're, this is not, we are going to make a change in culture and a change in our mind. This is not going to be the kind of church where you come and watch ministry done. If you want people saved, if you want families restored, if you want God to do an incredible work in this church and in this neighborhood, then all of you own it together with us. Amen? That's what I thought. The amens die out. We have to rise up and be God's people at God's place in God's time together.
And here are the things that we need to put into our life if we want to be in a position for the Lord to bless. Just maybe three or four simple thoughts from the text. Would you look back down there with me and and look at verse number 2. While they were ministering to the Lord... Here's the first thing. I'm going to use the word worshiping, but you can keep ministering there. Worshiping here uh, entails a whole lot more. I think it governs and and guides the text just a little bit better. But I want to say that the word ministering here is also very valuable and helpful for us to see an insight. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But if we want to be the kind of people whereby the Lord really rises our church up and we, we are a city set on a hill and we are shining the light to our neighbors and we are seeing people all around coming in and getting saved and changing their life. If we want to see all of that kind of thing, then we must begin at the very beginning by being the people who worship God every day and on Sundays and Wednesdays together. Amen? We, we must be the, listen, the single most important spiritual discipline you will ever have in your life is worshiping God. That is, that every day of your life there is a component of adoration and praise and glory that you wake up and that you live and you preach the gospel to yourself and you worship the God of creation by saying, you alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. You are immortal immortal and invisible and God only wise and you have sent Christ into the world to save my wretched soul that I am a sinner, I am weak, I am wounded, I have all kinds of baggage in my life. but I believe that Jesus died to wash all of that away and I worship you today. There must be a component of adoration and worship that goes on in our daily lives. And there is no wonder that sometimes we show up on Sunday and the praise team and the choir and the singers and Jamie, they are pulling teeth, they are yanking. Hey, you ever ever mow your lawn after, after a cold winter and you get the mower out and you start yanking on that cord? You know what I'm talking about, right? And you yank and it, it sputters just a little bit, but nothing happens. And you yank harder and yank harder and yank harder. And sometimes I feel like, I, I feel like those that are leading us in worship on Sunday, far before I ever get up to open God's word, that they are yanking on that cord so hard that sometimes it snaps. You know why that is? Because you don't worship God every day of your life. If you don't worship the Lord Monday through Saturday, what makes you think you're going to be able to come in here and worship God? If you don't have a sense in your life every day, I'm not talking about hours on end, right? Nobody in here is Martin Luther. But if you don't have some sort of time in your life daily whereby you're giving Him glory and praise and you're preaching the gospel to yourself and you're reminding yourself that you're a sinner and Jesus died for you and loving Him and longing for Him and reading about Him and seeking to be like Jesus every day. If you don't have that going on in your soul, I'm telling you, you're not going to get that in 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. And so I just want to set that in your lap. The last six, seven days, I'm not talking about just, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I, man, isn't that weird to tell children? If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Man, that's tough. I'm not talking about just, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub before you eat. I'm saying... If you don't have some sort of ongoing daily worshiping of the Lord, and can I just teach for a minute to you? I don't take long. Let me just teach you. 
You might be in a stage of life right now where you say, you know what, I can't have, you know, an hour-long quiet time every day. You should understand, I've got school, I've got work, I've got this, I've got this. Hey, I'm there. My wife's pregnant and we got an 11-month-old that, you know, will tear the wallpaper off the walls if you don't look, right? I get it, life's busy. I'll say something to you. If, you, if you. if you're at a place right now where you can't do that every day, then why don't you do it three days a week? Why don't you just back that down and say, I'm going to take 15 minutes a day to just pause quietly? You check your Facebook for longer than 15 minutes. And your Instagram and your emails. You watch television episodes for longer than 15 minutes. You watch commercials for longer than 15 minutes. I want you just to stop a little bit this next week and worship the Lord. We want God to do some grand and wonderful things in this place and through our people. That's not going to happen if we're not an ongoing worshiping kind of people. God is not a buffet line. You just don't run down to God like the Golden Corral and say, I'll take a little bit of the brisket, but you can keep that mac and cheese. I'll take a little bit of the kale salad because i got to offset the brisket. You don't get to do that with God. Right? You have to go to Him and love Him and beg for Him to be accepting of you and put your place and put yourself under the subjection of the Word of God and the glory of God and the cross of Christ and beg for Him and worship to Him. It says they were worshiping or ministering to the Lord. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? I like the word minister there because I want you to understand this, that the word there doesn't just mean, you know, this kind of worship. Although I like it. I love singing. I like putting my hands in the air. You know, sometimes when I'm down here, sometimes I put my hands in the air just so that the people three or four rows back think, is he a Baptocostal? I want you to be a little bit nervous about your pastor. He's getting, getting a little too crazy for Baptistic people. I like worshiping. Throw your hands in the air. Wave them like you just don't care. All right? Listen, praise God. But I want you to understand that word for worship there means far more than that. It means a ministering and a serving in your local church day in and day out in the grind of life. Listen, that word there has the connotation of work and nursery. Hmm. Pretty sure you stopped preaching, started meddling. That has, the, that has the connotation of teaching a Sunday school class. That has the connotation of volunteering to be, a, uh, to be an usher or to work one of our doors uh, as people are coming in or to work security or to help out with one of our events or to invite other folks to share. It has the everyday worshiping God through ministering to the Lord. And can I say this to you? This ought to help you out today. In the life of the church, don't ever worry about people who uh, speak in positions and those can sing. Hey, we have a great weight. We have to be humble before the Lord. But I want you to understand that it doesn't matter matter whether you're preaching a sermon to 5,000 people or you're cleaning the snot off a two-year-old, you're ministering to the Lord. Are you the kind of person today that has put yourself in the position to worship? Are you and are we as a church worshiping the Lord like this and with our service? We've got to be involved. We've got to be working. Let me make a couple of more points just quickly. Look back down at the text. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Oh, snaps. 
He just got all Anglican and Catholic on us. What is going on? We are Baptists. We eat. We don't fast. Amen? Amen. <laughs> that was the only chance you were going to get in this point, all right? Can I say something to you? Let me just teach for a moment. We need to be a fasting people. I don't know any other way to tell you that, but we need to find space in our life appropriately, physically, and spiritually, and emotionally. If you have uh, issues physically, you might want to speak to your doctor. But we need to be a fasting people. I heard some goober one time try to tell me. That's a, that's a, that's a theological term there, all right? Some goober tried to tell me, we don't need to fast. That's an Old Testament practice. I'm pretty sure that Jesus lived in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. I'm pretty sure that Jesus was the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. I said, well, how come there's not a, a ton of teaching on it in the, in the New Testament epistles to the churches? Because it was a foregone fact in their life. The New Testament early church believers already knew so much that God wanted them to fast, they felt little responsibility to teach you about it. In fact, there's a first century document called the Didache that talks and depicts for you the regular life in the life of the local church. And again and again and again, it talked about God's people fasting. Jesus said to the apostles, He said, listen, this doesn't come about but by prayer and fasting. Now, let me say a little bit of teaching here for a moment. Fasting is not your New Year's resolution weight loss program. Amen? I, I know, I know some of you, you're like, oh, I ate too much at Christmas time, I need to fast. And what the, what, what's driving that is, I want to lose weight, I want to say something to you. Now listen, I need to learn too, okay? You know, I need to back away from the trough some too. But fasting is not a diet plan. Fasting is not a diet plan. Here's another thing that fasting is not from the negative side. Fasting is not a way to twist the arm of God. I'm going to fast days on end, and God will make that happen. I want you to understand, you might fast until you die, and God's not entitled to do that. He doesn't have to do something for you. You don't fast to twist the arm of God. Let me give you a couple of, a couple of things to understand fasting. Here's one reason why you should fast. You ought to look for a space to fast because you have sin in your life. Let me... Uh, let me teach on that just for a moment. You might be sitting here saying, I don't have any unconfessed sin. I don't have any glaring sin. Let me tell you something. You fast for an entire day, and what will happen is you will find out very quickly just how much food is the king of your body. It will drive your mind. It will drive your attitude. It will drive your hangriness. Right? It will drive everything. And then you might recall to yourself that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sometimes when we fast, we're reminded, in fact, very few things in your life will remind you and help you to have clarity on just how much sin has a hold of your life than fasting. And if we want to be the kind of church God blesses, we've got to be a holy church. We've got to be an honest church. We've got to be a church that comes to grips with what's really going on in our souls and our minds and our spirits. I would say this too. On a positive standpoint, there are plenty of texts in the Bible 
that do speak about the idea that when God's people are together on one focal point and they're begging and pleading, they know that God is God. They know that He can do whatever He wants. He is divine. He is sovereign. He is in all control. But in the heart and in the spirit of an individual or in the corporate group of a church, they beg and long for God to do something that is both in His will and to His glory and for the good of humanity. And they long for that. There is a space in the Bible where we give up something for a time. We fast from something that is near and dear and what we're saying to our hearts and to the Lord is God. We believe that what is in front of us, we believe that what we're looking at and what we long for you to do is so important. We want you to know that we're serious and we're willing to lay aside other things, that we're willing to lay aside luxuries, that we want you and we believe in you to do something greater and bigger than our own lives. Maybe just an application for you as you think about worshiping and fasting. If you want to learn to fast, here's what you do. Fast. You can read a thousand books on it and never do it, just like you can with prayer. Let me give you a few tips to help you along the way. And then this week, if you want to email me or call me or whatever, I can walk some more through you. What I would say to you is begin with just one meal. All right? And because all of you have a sin nature like I do, don't say to yourself right now, I'm going to give up the meal that I don't eat anyway. Right, come on now, you know. I don't ever eat breakfast anyway. Pastor, this week I'm fasting from breakfast in the morning time. That, come on. Fast one meal, just one meal. But make it one that counts. Make it one that has some weight to it. Maybe it's a lunch. Maybe it's a dinner. Maybe for you it is breakfast. For me it is. I like two fried eggs with cheese melted on it and whole wheat toast that's been toasted with mayonnaise on it. I make me a mayonnaise and eggs. Y'all ready for lunch right now? Yeah, I eat breakfast almost every morning. I love it. Start with just one meal that means something somewhere. You don't have to do it every day. Maybe just one this next week. Here's the second thing. Plan it. Don't walk out of here and say, I'm not going to El Rodeo for lunch. I'm fasting. You'll never make it. You'll stop at the 7-Eleven on the way home and get you a big gulp and three Snickers bars. All right, That is not going to work for you. Don't do it off the cuff or you'll fail. Plan it. Why don't you say something like this? You know what? Tuesday or Thursday or Wednesday, whatever day is this, this coming week, this coming Wednesday, I'm going to fast through breakfast. Here's, here's, here's something else for you. When you decide to fast through that time, don't feel like, I could teach you an hour on this, don't feel like you've got to be super spiritual. I have to read and pray for an entire hour. How long does it usually take you to eat your meal? For me, it's like seven seconds, right? It takes an hour to make, and then I just inhale it. All right, don't laugh at me. You do the same thing. Some of you eat in 10, 15 minutes. Don't feel like you've got to be over-spiritual. If you've never fasted before, plan it. Take that, take that meal away and spend 15 or 20 minutes praying specifically that God would reveal to you and take away the sins of your life. That God would bless you and your family. And that God would supernaturally show up in the life of your church. 
and bless all of the events and the things that are going on. Now, I've without a thousand other ways to help you with that. If you can't fast from food because you have a physical condition, then learn to fast from something that will cost you. For some of you, that's your phone. For some of you, that's your email. For some of you, that's your Facebook account. Take that away. Spend some time in prayer. And so, Steve, what do you mean by that? Talk to me about that. Let me just tell you this. In the next four weeks, if you walk out of this service today and in the next four weeks you don't plan and actively and logically fast from one meal to pray for your family and your life and your church, then I just want to ask you how serious are you about what we're doing here? So we don't come to church just to hear sermons and leave. We come to church to hear the Word, to go apply it. We worship, we fast. Look what it says there. A couple minutes here. And they were praying. Verse number 2, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I'll come back to that. And then look at verse number 3. Then when they had fasted and prayed. Brothers and sisters, you'll find that fasting and prayer go together like hand and glove throughout the entire Bible. We need to spend time in prayer. And can I, can I just share with you as your pastor, hey, this is not, these, these hands aren't going out like this. His hands is, is put, I'm putting my hands on your shoulders. I'm saying all of us together. We've got to grow. We've got to learn to pray to spend time with the Lord, genuinely praying. Not just, it's, it's okay to pray in the car, you can pray anywhere, you can pray with your eyes open, pray and you pray all the time, pray anyway, but there's got to be some set times. You know, I moved so far away from that over the years, preaching and teaching people in the practicality of praying to say, you can pray when you're driving, you can pray when this, you can pray in the mall, you can do, pray all these kinds, and I, I moved so far away, but I want to say to you, I want to pull us back and say, yes, you can do all of that kind of praying, but there also needs to be some seasons of prayer in our life where for 15 or 30 minutes or 45 minutes we're on our knees or on our, our stomachs or, or before the Lord or sitting in a chair quietly begging and pleading and calling out for God to do some wonderful and great things in our life. Mainly the eradication of our sin and the exaltation of Christ in our life and the movement of the Spirit in the body of Christ. We need Jesus and it comes through prayer. We need a season of prayer. We have to build a culture of prayer in our life and in our family's life and in our church life. Meetings ought to begin with prayer. Fellowships ought to begin with prayer. Family time ought to begin with prayer. I had a brother call me on the phone, another pastor a couple of counties away, uh, call me Friday afternoon. And uh, he was on his way to uh, a sister's house with his family. And uh, they were going to anoint her with oil and pray over her. Uh, she has a terrible illness. And he said, can you talk to me about that? And I said, yeah, here's what I do in those situations. I read the passage in James to the person. I explain to them that God is under no compulsion to heal. That He alone is God. 
and that there is no saving power in the oil, just like there's no saving power in the elements of the Lord's table, but this is a symbol that represents the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I said, once you've explained all of that, pray in faith, believing. I have a feeling that as Baptists, we're so prone to explain and caveat the Holy Spirit completely out of the work of God. He may very well heal that lady. He doesn't have to. At times he doesn't. Certainly there's times where death comes and the healing takes place in the next life. But I'm not going to spend all my life rearranging and twisting the Bible so that I make everybody feel comfortable instead of putting ourselves out there and saying, I'm not stepping out on a limb. I'm asking God to do something that is seeable and knowable and, and, and right in front of us. And if He does it, wonderful. And if He doesn't, I'll just simply say, He knows everything that I do not know. Why can't we live our lives like that? Jesus did. You'll never find anybody in all the world that had as much faith as Jesus. I just want to set that before you. Hey, I've had things in my life that I've prayed for for a decade or more that have never come about. And I have friends that I've prayed for weeping in the hospital that have died long before they should have. What do I say at those times? I say, God, you've done enough through your word and you've done enough in my life that I trust you. I can't explain everything, but I trust you. And I trust that your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And whatever you want to do is right and good. But in my finite, small mind, this is what I'd love to see. There's so much freedom to pray like that. You see, you can't lose on either side. You just pray, lay it out there. God, I want you to do this. and Would you do this? And not for my own glory. And you have to check your motives, right? Not the, and we, we have not because we ask not, but sometimes we ask that we might consume it upon our own lust. So we don't want to say, God, give me a Ferrari and I'll worship you, right? You might have wrong motives there. But when the motives are right and aligned with Him, just pray and ask God to do wonderful and mighty and glorious things that are far beyond what we could think of individually or through our family or through our church. And whatever He decides to do, He'll receive glory from. But I don't want you to walk out of here having been beat up a few times in your life and not having things worked out and you get some dings in your armor as a Christian and then you start debating about what can I do and can I do this and can I do that. I just want you to know that God is good. God is holy. I spoke to a person the other day and they said, I have a lost loved one and God is sovereign and I've been praying for them a long time and they've not got saved. Should I stop praying for them? And I said, no, my sister, don't stop praying for them because the God of the Bible has revealed His character to us and He is good and holy and kind and loving, take Him at His word and pray to the hilt and whatever He decides to do will be right. I want, I want to shake you out of that today. We need this church to rise up and pray every day of our lives for what's near and dear to us and our congregation.
And God will do what's right. Let me uh, point you to the text. We'll finish. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, and I would put in context with verse number 3, they were praying. Look what happens when that happens. The Holy Spirit. Isn't that what your Bible says? Verse number 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit. If we put ourselves in the position of worshiping, fasting, praying, being faithful to the Lord, the Spirit of God will show up in our lives and in our church. Of that you can be assured. Then look what it says here. He shows up. He sets apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which He had called them. And now look at what the church does in verse number 3. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. You'll notice uh, in chapter 12 and chapter 13, especially the last seven verses of chapter number 13, you'll notice the repetition of the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. When they had worshipped, when they had fasted, when they had prayed, the Holy Spirit shows up and they send people out to share the Gospel with the unbelieving world. And if we want God to do a work in our church. And all those things that I said at the beginning of the sermon where our hearts say, yes, I want our church to bubble over into our community and be a light post to this whole community. If we want God to do that, then we also need to be willing to be sent out of here every week, share the gospel, invite people to come to church, be about the Father's business until He comes. On your way out today, I noticed this. They got the brand new invitation cards. Man, they're looking snazzy on the front. Listen, uh, let me just, I'm just trying to teach you in a practical way because I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want this thing to fall on deaf ears. You know, side note, if there was anything I could ever want from preaching ministry is what it was said of Samuel. You know, it was said of Samuel, not a word that he spoke ever fell to the ground. I fear that the vast majority of my speaking falls to the ground, but may the Spirit of God quicken His Word and move it into our hearts. Don't leave here today without picking these up. One or two or five or twenty. Don't use them as bookmarks. Give them to somebody. If you really want God to bless this church, you really want the Lord to do something incredible in your life, then use the means that have been given to you. I know that's pretty in your face. I don't mean to be that way today. I just want you to hear that. I, don't, I, I love it. Y'all are so kind. I appreciate that was a good sermon. I appreciate when you're just quiet when they're not good sermons, right? <laughs> but if you want to be obedient to God's Word, then just pick this up on your way out today and do something about it. As I told you last week, this is your church. It's really His church, but you're the people. If you want your church to grow and be vibrant and be a part of what God is doing, then you have to take ownership in what's going on. Amen? So that's the way we put ourselves in the will of the Lord and in a position to grow. We are worshiping the Lord. We are learning to fast and give ourselves over to Him. We are praying. And we are going. Would you do that this week? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Here's the, here's the invitation for today. In just a minute, we'll stand and sing a hymn of response as well too. Right where you are, why don't you just talk to the Lord? Why don't you do business? I, I have to do the same thing. Just find that spot in your life somewhere in the lesson today. Say, yeah, I want that, but I, I need to give myself over to this. I need to pray. I need to go. I need to worship. And you know what? I need to step out on a limb. Maybe fast. Is there anything that you want God to do in your life and in your church that is more important to you than missing one meal this next week? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.